0: Ah, yes. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. My name is Greg Mraz, your host. I am going to have a great week of shows lined up. We're going to have guests abound, or at least that's what our schedule currently allows. I want to go back, though. This is not going to be a new episode today. I'm calling this a Coffee Conversations Look Back. We had two great conversations, one with Luke Farrell of the Texas Rangers, another one with Zach Littell of the Minnesota Twins, and Dalton Kelly of the Tampa Bay Rays at the same time. I want to put both of those conversations into this pod today, so it's going to be a much longer pod. I'm calling it the Megasode, and I want to catch you up on these conversations because not everybody listened to them the first time. I think it's important at the beginning of the week to listen to the perspectives of some Major League Baseball players. I really hope that you enjoy these I don't want to redirect you and go back to listen to the individual episodes. You can if you want, but if you want both of them in one file and are just sitting around the house and don't have much to do, listen to today's Coffee Conversations Mega Sode Look Back with Luke Farrell of the Texas Rangers, Zach Littell of the Minnesota Twins, and Dalton Kelly of the Tampa Bay Rays. Enjoy, everybody. Oh baby, we are back here on MLB Morning Coffee. It is a Tuesday morning here from the Ocean Avenue studios in San Francisco, California. So glad that you could be with us today. We are very thankful that you are able to gather up by the fire or by the coffee pot and and listen to a little bit of our show. We promised you on our Top 10 Dodgers episode yesterday that we were going to have a big leaguer on, and I... I told you I was going to deliver, and we delivered. Joining us from Arizona is Texas Rangers relief pitcher and my fellow Northwestern University alumnus, Luke Farrell. Luke, what is going on today, my man? Uh, not much. A lot of sitting around lately. How about you? Hey, you know, just trying to pump out audio content as much as possible, and uh, you know, get a little home workout in. I've come up with this like nine-mile walking route from where I live to the ocean. How many miles? So. Nine miles, yeah. So, I live on Ocean Avenue, and it's about four and a half miles to the actual ocean. And I've done this walk like three days in a row, and it's just, it's burning me up, but it's a good way to...
1: False advertising over there.
0: Yeah, Ocean Avenue is kind of a long street. I walk all of it, and it it truly does hit the ocean. So, (laughs) Luke, you were off to a great start in spring training. Uh, And you had had a really good bounce back year with the Rangers after you had your jaw broken in spring training. So you used to sitting around for a while because you didn't really have a whole lot to do after you got injured in spring training of 2019. So for you this sort of period of nothingness, is it new to you or were you able to be able to do some activities when you had that broken jaw last year that you could or could not do this year?
1: Yeah, sadly it's not too new for me. I seem like I I can't get out of Arizona lately. So, um, last year after I got hit, I had to spend pretty much two months, um, kind of doing nothing. I mean, sitting on the couch mainly, I had a concussion that, um, I was advised really not to do anything. Um, Which, after about two months, you know, you're kind of pulling your hair out. So I got set up with a new doctor at that point that was having me do some different things. And then I started to to get some activity going. Um, But yeah, I think it's almost like Groundhog Day right now. And back in Arizona, the weather's starting to get a little bit hotter. You should be playing, but you're not. Um, So it's kind of eerily familiar. You
0: got off to a great start in spring training. You had not given up a run in any of your spring training games and all of a sudden all the momentum you have just comes to a halt what was the experience like for you knowing that you basically went from full speed ahead all the work that you put in the off season to get ready for this season and then to know that you got to put it all on hold and you don't know when you're going to get to go back
1: yeah and that's a great way to put it, it and that's pretty much what took place last year when I had that injury and I think a lot of guys would say the same when they've had an injury but um I mean it's pretty unprecedented for what is going on right now, just for all of us to stop. And, you know, I remember when we first had meetings about COVID-19 and potential ramifications on our league and maybe moving opening day because then Seattle was the hub and that's where we were supposed to open. Um, I mean, even then, there was still a lot of hope. Um, none of us knew that it was going to really explode into what it's become.
0: So what was the marching orders you got from the Rangers, did they basically advise guys to stay in Arizona? Did they advise guys to go home? Did some guys go back to the greater Dallas-Arlington area? I mean, what was what was the preferred method of splitting up that the organization gave you guys?
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like every time we, we came to a, a plan or at least had some ideas in motion, within 24 hours they, they had all changed. Um, and, I mean, even even the last game we played in, I actually pitched the last inning, which was the fifth inning, and then we got rained out. And and after that, we haven't played since. Um, so I think we had a team meeting maybe the next day, and it was, you know, games are going to be shut down. We're going to try and stay here. And then we had a players-only meeting the next day after that, and it was, they're going to shut the complex down. Why don't we all, as a team get on the plane and then head over to Dallas and we'll train out of the stadium. And then once this blows over, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be ready. And if not, we'll come back to Arizona for a brief spring training and then get going again. And literally 24 hours after that, it was hey, MLB has three options for you guys. Um, you can go to the home city in Dallas. You can stay here with the complex or you can go home. And if your family's at home, you know, a lot of the guys have kids or they've wives at home. Um, That was a – initially it wasn't an easy decision for him because, you know, you never want to leave the team, especially right when it's supposed to be opening day. But, um, again, like in those short 24-hour windows, everything changed so much that a lot of guys were set on going home. Um, For some of those people, their house happens to be in Dallas, and there was a hope to be able to train just right out of the stadium. But, oddly enough, our stadium wasn't ready to take us yet because it was still, you know, a few days before opening day. And, uh, you know, just talking with some guys over there, they've, you know, Texas and Dallas it has been on a, I think they call it a mandatory shelter or something like that. So they've had a hard time getting to the field. Um, and, you know, I, I rent pretty much everywhere I go anyways, and I've got some family out here, so it was an easy decision for me to stay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's odd for the whole team to just kind of disperse and, and break up, right? You're supposed to really be coming together. You bring up an interesting
0: point, though, about possibly training in your home stadium. You guys have a unique situation because your stadium may not have been completely done yet. Did you guys have any indication on whether or not the stadium was going to be ready? Because the Rangers are moving into a brand new ballpark for the 2020 season.
1: Yeah, no, they assured us that it was going to be ready. It was just, um, I think, like like most massive projects, I think it kind of came down to the wire, but they were supposed to have a big concert or something there a few days before as like a trial run. And, um, you know, they were just kind of putting those last finishing touches on. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of excitement, not only for the season, but to get into that brand new stadium. And, um, you know, it's just curtailed for a little bit, I guess. We're talking with Luke Farrell
0: here, Rangers reliever on MLB Morning Coffee. Luke, one of the things that I think is interesting about your career is that you started – in the Royals organization, and now you're training in the same complex that you first grew up as a professional training in. What was that like for you to come back to Surprise after all of those years being in their development system?
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, like most people, I think you want to be familiar with your surroundings. So um, when I went over to Texas, I had a really good idea of, you know, that area and the land, I guess, and happened to know some people that were already there. And then just across the parking lot, you got, you know, at that point, not as many guys as I came up with, but still a handful of players that I, that I played with on the team and in Kansas City and stuff. So um, a lot of familiar faces, especially in spring training when you happen to play the team that's across the parking lot most often.
0: Give me the sense of excitement when you get that call when you first got drafted by the Royals. I can tell you exactly where I was when you got drafted. I actually know. I actually know exactly where I was when you got drafted. I was at an overpass McDonald's in Western New York. I was driving along with two other Northwestern broadcast students out to Cape Cod for our first Cape League season. We were staying the night in Albany, New York, and our phones dinged and it just said Luke Farrell selected in sixth round by the Kansas city Royals. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, a Northwestern wildcat has been taken in the draft. So what was that experience like for you? I'm sure a lot more exciting than ordering McDonald's west of Albany, New York.
1: That's pretty cool. I'd never heard that story from you. And even better to be going out to Cape Cod for a summer. There's not many better places to spend it than there. No, sir. It was on my birthday. Um, I got drafted on my birthday. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I was, we were in the middle of finals week, being Northwestern, so that trimester got me, and um finals week was in that first part of June. So I think I was sitting around uh, our baseball house that I know you've been to a time or two, and um, had a group of friends around me, and um, had some phone calls in with my agent and stuff, and then he sent me a text. He said, watch the ticker, and I saw my name go by, and my name get announced, and yeah, I mean, pretty cool. Tears tears of joy, for sure.
0: You want to know something else? Maybe you did or did not know this. You said the baseball house where I had visited a time or two. Well, maybe you don't know this, but guess who moved in there after you moved out? No way. Did you spend a summer there? I spent two years there. <laughs> we lived in that house. My fraternity and I lived in that house for two years. I lived in Linny's old room, and my buddy... My buddy Carl lived in your room. Oh, my gosh.
1: I always wondered who had taken it over.
0: Well, you know, it's funny, actually, and this doesn't really mean a whole lot to anybody that didn't go to Northwestern or didn't associate with, uh, with either of our two groups, but I actually bought Colby's mattress and his printer and hauled them from the second floor all the way down to the basement.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a raw deal.
0: No, he gave me a pretty good deal on the stuff. I still am actually using that printer today. (laughs) Uh. But in any event, Luke, as I'm sure that I can speak to, your first summer of pro ball was in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Really fun town, but very Mormon community. And I'm sure as somebody that grew up most of their life in Ohio and on the East Coast, that it was a different experience for you. What was that first year in pro ball like for you?
1: Yeah, man, it really was. We had a collection of guys from all over. I mean, we had college, high school, Juco, um, Venezuelans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans. Um, So that's one of the biggest adjustments when you first get into pro ball is, okay, now you're playing with all different age groups, all different countries, backgrounds, languages. Um, We had a kid on the team from South Korea, I think. So, Um, that's one of the really cool things when you first jump into pro ball is, okay, now I'm in this melting pot and then um, I guess to throw another variable in it, you're in Idaho Falls, Idaho of all places. Um, So that was my first experience being in the Northwest and um, I got to do some really cool things. I met some really interesting people. Um, One of them was a a professional stuntman in LA and he used to come up to Idaho and spend the summers up there and he had a ranch. He kept some horses up there. Um, met him, and he ended up taking my brother and I out uh, to go fly fishing in Yellowstone Park. And he's like, you know, why don't you come over to the house? We'll get you fitted for waders and stuff. We'll get you rods and reels. We'll get you all set up. And then the next day, we'll go out early in the morning. So we went over and checked him out. He seemed legit. And then the next day, we went over at about 530 in the morning. And we had a night game that night. And sure enough, we piled in his truck and we sat three across in his truck and we went up into Yellowstone National Park. And I don't know if he took us in some back route or, or what, but we spent the morning fishing under a waterfall. And um, yeah, I mean, one of the coolest memories of my baseball career.
0: I can only imagine, man. So for you, Ogden, Utah, what type of experience was that for you? Uh, whenever you guys had to go down and play in Ogden, because I know from a lot of experiences my own that that's one of the more intriguing baseball environments at any level what were what were your experiences like in Ogden
1: i don't know that a whole lot stood out other than just i mean really pretty views I mean you're kind of surrounded by the mountains there.
0: The count is full blah. Do you remember that what is it The count is full blah so on the video board. Their GM uh, does this, does this recording like the count from Sesame Street, and it has this little ticker, and it just says the count is full. Blah.
1: <laughs> I had forgotten about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I'm uh, that's why I'm here to uh, to remind you to uh, to give you to give you all of those uh, fantastic memories of of that time in Ogden, Utah. It's
1: the intricacies of the Pioneer League.
0: Let's fast forward a little bit. You're going to get called up to make your Major League debut. You're in Omaha at the time. Your dad is the manager of the Red Sox, and he's able to take a one-day leave of absence to come and watch you pitch during your debut. Number one, how cool was it to know that he was going to make that effort to come and watch you pitch when he's got a whole other team that he's got to worry about? And number two, what was that moment of joy like when you got that call to the big leagues?
1: A lot to unpack there. The call was special. We were in Colorado Springs. Oddly enough, had gone fly fishing that morning too. That's I just realized that. So. <laughs> so I guess
0: fly fishing is definitely what uh, what stands out about all of this.
1: Yeah, maybe I need to go do that more often. Um, no, but we had we had played a game in Colorado Springs, and the Royals had a doubleheader coming up, so there was talk that they were going to need another starter, and I had been going really well and got pulled into the into the office and i think as soon as i was going in there i knew i knew it was up so my heart started racing a little bit and i mean i'll never forget it the office in colorado springs which is no longer a triple a team i think
0: they're a pioneer league team now
1: yeah so pretty dated place i mean tough clubhouse pretty small full of guys and then the coach's room is i mean it's five feet by five feet it must have been so I'm standing in there pretty much shoulder to shoulder with these four coaches and um, they tell me I was going to go up and make a start pack my bags um, came out as claps and cheers and hugs from all my teammates and um, a lot of phone calls after that so yeah one of the best days of my life right there and then um, as far as my dad being able to come to the game. He didn't. Uh, he actually didn't really tell me that he was going to come. I think he tried to surprise me, and he tried to not add a lot more pressure to it. And then the night before that game, it was a, a day-night doubleheader. I think I saw on Twitter at like midnight or something because, you know, I'm not sleeping. So midnight or 1 a.m. or something, I saw on Twitter that he had left the team and he was going to come out. And so I texted him. I was like, is this for real? Said, yeah, I'm on my way. So that was pretty cool.
0: I mean, that had to be the biggest thrill in the world because you probably wouldn't have expected that, right? Like, there's you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, my dad's managing another big league team. There's no way that he's coming out to watch me pitch when he's
1: got his team. I know. I don't know. Um, you know, it's kind of weird. you always growing up around the game. You're around players all the time, and you look up to these guys, and then you get that phone call, and all of a sudden you're one of them. Um, and then for him to come and, and experience it with me, you know, pretty special day. And then maybe even cooler, I think was, um, later on that season. Actually, I I faced him, I faced the Red Sox. So, uh, with him in the dugout, that was an even cooler experience.
0: And I actually looked it up. You're the first player to ever pitch against his father's team.
1: Crazy stat
0: it is a crazy stat, but it's one that I think is very rarely, if ever, going to happen. We're here with Luke Farrell, Texas Rangers pitcher here on MLB Morning Coffee, a fellow Northwestern University alumnus, a fellow Pioneer League alumnus with myself. And Luke, I want to take you back to your college days. Northwestern has an agreement with the Cubs and with Wrigley Field to play a host of different events at Wrigley. You get the opportunity to start Northwestern's game against Michigan at Wrigley, and you throw a complete game. You get picked up by the Cubs, and walk me through what it was like the first time you got to step onto Wrigley Field again after you had thrown that complete game in college.
1: Oh, I remember that, too. Yeah. I was, uh... We had just gone back from Colorado. I had been called up, like, I think... Cubs opened up in Miami, and then a couple days later, they were in Colorado. So it was like first week of the season or something, second week. um, Got on the plane, went to Cleveland, and then went back home to to Chicago. And I think we landed pretty late, 1 a.m. or something after a night game. And um, David Bode and I had just joined the team. And so we, you know, like anybody you want to explore – your new stadium, right? Your new dig. So we walked around the clubhouse and um, kind of took it all in. And then we went out on the field at about 1 a.m. And uh, I went out and just kind of walked around, walked around the outfield a little bit, just kind of took it in. And um, yeah, I, th- I think I thought back on that game and, um, you know, touching that field in college. And it seemed so far away. And then a couple of years later, you're there and you're, and you're on that club.
0: What a story, man. That's that's just got to be the biggest thrill in the world for you. And, I mean, you've had a chance to be in a couple of different organizations since you first got called up. I mean, what is different about the Rangers, at least from what you can tell, than anywhere else that you've been at this point?
1: I think collectively it's just the people. Um, I mean, I, I genuinely enjoy going in and, and being around the guys, being around the staff members. Um, whether it's medical staff, training staff, players, um, you know, last year I went on a rehab assignment and I, I spent a month in A. Um, There's just awesome people up and down the organization and I think they care. Um, I think they, they put the player first, which I think can become rare at certain times. Um, and then this, you know, more specifically in the major league clubhouse, it's just, I mean, it's a group of awesome people and it's, You know, hopefully we get back to playing this season. I know no one really knows what that status is, but um, I think it's a pretty special group that, you know, again, I think it's hard to find 26 people or what, you know, if they expand rosters, whatever it is that, um, you know, they genuinely enjoy being around each other. And I think that goes a long way as far as winning games and having success on the field.
0: What's it like playing for Chris Woodward? being a relatively new manager and being a guy that was very recently, at least in terms of manager lore, a former player.
1: Woody's been great. Um, the way he communicates with players is fantastic. Um, you know, I think he, he has his ideals and his virtues that he wants to instill in his team and he lives them out. And, you know, I don't think you can really ask much more than that. So, um, you know, he's checking in on all of us as well as other staff members and the concern right now. And, um, you know, yeah, we're concerned about baseball, but the concern right now is about everyone's health and everyone's family. Um, and so I think it's pretty cool and pretty refreshing to have somebody in leadership that that carries out that message.
0: What are you trying to do personally to stay active and stay healthy? I mean, are you allowed to, to go outside for walks? Do you try and hit the golf course if you can? Uh, you know, are you still able to, to continue your throwing program?
1: I've hit the golf course a few times. I mean, you're in Arizona and they've kind of got it set up now where you really don't touch anything. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty aware of washing my hands all the time or <laughs> having Purell in my pocket everywhere I go, which is not what I thought I'd be doing a couple of weeks ago, but um, we have our complex open to, uh, to a few guys. So I'll go in a few days a week and, and get off the mound and stay sharp and, um, you know, carry on with my lifts and my running and things like that. And, You know, another good thing about being stuck during this time and being stuck in Arizona is that you can't get outside. So, you know, whether it's going and hiking and you're not around anybody or just, you know, walking out in the sun for a while um, just to get out of the house, get out of that cabin fever. Luke,
0: what is the one thing that you try and do to keep your mind on baseball while you know that actual baseball games are really far away at this point?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's just whenever I am working out or training or throwing, it's to just be totally present and be doing that and not be concerned on, oh, man, we might not play in a month, two months, three months, whatever it is. Just, okay, this is my job. This is what I have to do right now. And if, you know, if you want to dwell on it after and be doomsday and and have all these thoughts creep in, okay, but not while you're doing your work. Um, And I think away from the field. I do a pretty good job of not getting to that point. I mean, there's, there's a lot bigger things going on right now than baseball. There's a lot of people being affected by this much more than I am or my teammates are. Um, and so I, I certainly haven't lost sight of that. I mean, what the country is facing, what the world is facing as a whole is pretty unprecedented. It's something that, you know, at times I just can't wrap my head around the fact that it's actually happening. Um, so you just hope that, you know, we can figure out a way out of this sooner than later and, um, you know, get people healthy and and back to their normal lives. One of the most
0: unique guys in baseball in terms of how he approaches every start in terms of how he carries himself on the mound is Corey Kluber. And now he's a teammate of yours. Granted, you didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him compared to a lot of your other teammates because of the shortened spring training. But what have your experiences been like around Corey Kluber and, and watching how he gets prepared every time he takes the hill?
1: I think that I think you kind of nailed it right there. You just kind of watch him. I mean, he's not a very verbal guy, but you watch the way he works. He's so consistent. Um, I mean, he, the way he plays catch, every throw has intent behind it. Um, you know, some people call him robotic, but when you think about what we're trying to do as pitchers, it's repeated delivery over and over and over again and execute pitches. And that's the way he trains. And it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, what two Cy Youngs? um, I mean, incredible pitcher, obviously. And then you just watch the way he does the small, minute details, which I know sound boring, but you understand, like, man, this guy just does everything with an intent and an intensity. And you can imagine why it builds up in- into the greatness that he has. And, I mean, funny enough, I was at the field this morning throwing with our bullpen coach and he goes, Hey man, you got to check this out. And he shows me his phone and he's got like an eight second clip of Klub in his backyard, um, back in Massachusetts, and he's on a turf mound in his backyard throwing to a net. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's the same thought. You know, man, a couple of weeks ago we are getting ready to break for the season, and now you got a Cy Young award winner throwing bullpens into a net in his backyard.
0: Yeah, from 2014 to 2018, with the exception of 2015, Kluber won at least 18 games in all of those years, winning the Cy Young in 2014 and in 2017. So, like, the guy – knows how to prepare and he's Incredible. so stoic in terms of of how he takes them out I'm sure that you and and others like you learn a lot from him when the season does get underway Luke what's the best part about being a major leaguer like the off the field stuff is it the travel is it the accommodations because I know that you certainly don't miss the uh the long bus rides from Idaho Falls to Grand Junction
2: oh
1: Man, my back feels a lot better now than it, than it did back then. That's for sure. Um, being 6'6 and sitting doubled up on a bus for 12 hours is nothing I miss. But the best thing off the field about the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, the travel's amazing. The food, I think the food is pretty great. Uh, I like to eat well um, and eat clean. And that's just much easier in the big leagues. I mean, there's always food. You're not you're not no one really gets there and loses weight, which is probably a bad thing. But
0: I mean, you also have to eat at really weird times because you're playing right at dinner time. So a lot of baseball players and it's pretty much the same from the minors on up are eating a meal before the game and eating a meal after the game. And then there may be scenarios where you actually have a breakfast and then a lunch at around like a two o'clock or something. So it seems like the eating schedule for a baseball player at any level of professional ranks is pretty darn, uh, pretty darn difficult to, uh, to understand.
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you, you get a handful of uh, good breakfast spots, and you're just kind of crushing up the field. Other than that, and there's no shortage of food there.
0: You know what was remarkable to me is that fans find out where you guys are staying like really, really quickly. And I'll give you an example of this, and I'm not going to give away this location. So I live in San Francisco. My gym is in downtown San Francisco. And it did not matter because both visiting teams, whether it's the Giants or the A's, stay at the same hotel. And every time that I would walk from the train station over to my gym – I would see the same, like, 10 to 15 fans with their card binders, like, sitting out on this corner right by the front of the hotel. <laughs> and and one of them was just like, he's like, I know, I know Nolan, the Rockies were in town playing the Giants. He's like, I know Nolan Arenado's going to come out. He's a Bay Area guy. He's got to have family. Well, I'm going to get this. And I just walked by. I'm like, dude, no chance. And uh, he just, like, stared at me and uh, – But no, I like that to me is the amazing part. Like, do you ever have to deal with like too many crowds at a hotel?
1: I mean, those guys are persistent with the Cubs. It was pretty crazy. I mean, Cubs fans traveled or lived all over the place. So no matter what hotel you were in, um, there were fans crawling all over the place. And I mean, you had Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Lester walking around. So those guys are obviously getting hounded left and right, but, um, yeah, I think definitely with the Cubs just the way those fans traveled. I mean, they're everywhere. It was pretty amazing.
0: What's your best story from any of your stops in the minors? Oof, best story. Best story that's PG, by the way, because I don't want I don't want to offend anybody. Like you and I you and I both know that there's a lot of stuff that ends up happening in minor league baseball that you know, just depending on who it is. So, you know, what, what's one of your best stories in the minors? I I, I imagine that you've got some interesting stories from the Texas League when you were in Northwest Arkansas.
1: Yeah, there were some there for sure. Um, one that always comes to mind was in the Sally League, Loe. I was playing for the Lexington Legends, and we had just wrapped up a series in Augusta. So we jumped on a bus in August in Augusta, Georgia, we got about an hour outside the city. We were driving all the way back up to Kentucky, which I think was like 11 hours or something. We get about an hour in after a night game and the bus breaks down. And we're parked on the side of the road. And the air conditioning at least was still going while, while we had parked. And I turned to somebody. I was like, man, at least we have AC. And as soon as I said it, the AC killed. And I had probably four guys standing up beating on me because of course I was the, the hex that turned off the AC. So we're sitting in there and no mechanic can come cause it's about midnight. Um, and they can't get buddy anybody, anybody out to the bus. So August in Georgia, it's pretty hot. So we're sitting on the bus, sitting on the bus, probably an hour, hour and a half goes by. And somebody's like, man, we gotta, we gotta open up the door. Like at least get some air or something. So they open up the door and we start feeling these bites. And somebody turns on their phone flashlight. And I'm not kidding, there's probably a couple hundred mosquitoes sitting in the top of the bus just flying around.
0: Oh jeez. Oh my god. That that's like a that's like something out of a horror movie.
1: Oh, it was awful. So guys have their shirts off, they're swatting at these mosquitoes, sweat is just pouring down people. We probably were, you know, you wanted to go outside, but the mosquitoes were all outside too. So it's just kind of like pick your poison. So after about another hour, I think, um, we get another bus. So they bring us another bus. So everybody jumps off, grabs their stuff and then loads it back onto the other bus. When the process of unloading all the bags and the equipment, they had been put on the side of the road and on the side of the road, there was an anthill. So. <laughs> We put our stuff back into this bus, and the, the, I guess, under part, you know, where you store all these bags, couldn't hold everything on this new bus, so some of it made it up into the seats. Oh, I can see where this is going. About 20 minutes into the ride, back in this new bus, guys are screaming, because they got these fire ants crawling up their legs, biting them. (laughs) And this was just the beginning. We had nine hours more to go. So... Anytime I hear about minor league travel stories, that's the first one that comes to mind.
0: Luke Farrell, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here today. I do not want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, hopefully you'll have something positive on a baseball field to contribute to soon. I know that, like you said, you know baseball is somewhat secondary at this time, but uh, I certainly hope that we get to see you on a big league mound again
1: real soon. All right, thanks, guy. Good talking to you, man. Stay safe.
0: Absolutely. That was Luke Farrell here on MLB Morning Coffee. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll catch you in the AM. Ah, yes. Welcome to MLB Morning Coffee. It is so good to have you along for the ride we really hope that you enjoyed our previous episodes a tribute to Ed Farmer our top 10 Arizona Diamondbacks we had a lot of great top 10 lists that we put together over the past week and a half so please go back and listen to those if you are willing it is now time for the second of our coffee conversations our first was with Texas Rangers reliever Luke Farrell last week, and we have a dual conversation this week. These are two guys that I know very well. They have, I would say, climbed the ranks extremely well from their time with me in Clinton, Iowa in 2016. It is Minnesota Twins relief pitcher Zach Littell and Tampa Bay Rays Triple A first baseman Dalton Kelly both joining me from Zach's home in maben North Carolina. Gents, what's going on? How you doing?
2: How much? How are y'all?
0: You know, it's uh it's pretty much the same old, same old nowadays, missing baseball as as I'm sure you guys are, and and I'll let you both kinda of tell this story at the same time. What was it like for each of you guys? You both train in Florida. What was it like for you when spring training got shut down? What was the, the sort of day or or the the last like 12 hours before you were told that you had to get out of there.
3: Yeah, it was pretty wild. We were playing a game and we come in from the game, a night game, and we see that the NBA just canceled their whole entire season. And so all of us were kind of looking around and just, that was the moment where everyone realized this is a big deal. They're taking this really, really seriously. They're seeing stuff that's scaring them and they want to keep people healthy and safe. And so they, the NBA canceled their whole entire season. And you know, There's a lot of money to be made in the NBA and with those games on TV and they just straight canceled the game. And so um, the next day we got called in, I'd actually got an option down before that game. So I was no longer in big league camp anymore. Um, And so, yeah, it was just a crazy process. And we knew that since the NBA canceled their season, the MLB was going to follow right behind. So we just we saw the writing on the wall.
0: And Zach, what about for you?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I think anytime you know a major sports league like that feels that it's in their best interest, especially in a in a you know, billion dollar industry or multi million dollar industry like like the NBA, MLB, or the NFL, cancels you know or I guess technically postpones their season. Um, that's a lot of money they're losing. So for them to for them to feel like that was necessary is kind of kind of very um, for us we realized it was a pretty serious matter and and the MLB was going to follow suit shortly after. So it was kind of just a waiting game from there. But um, the uncertainty was kind of weird, you know, like um, we get a text that says we have a meeting the next day, you know, we didn't play. We, we ended up not actually playing our game that day. Um, So we got a text that we had a meeting the next day. So it was kind of weird just, you know, not knowing anything. We didn't really know what was going to happen or, um, or or what was gonna what the what the future looked like so it was, it was just weird kind of a different thing than, than you ever think you're gonna go through
3: i think the initial message that we got from the teams was spring training is delayed two weeks and so from there we heard that message and then like the next two or three days we were having team meetings at 9 a.m 8 a.m because every night they were the, the the front office were getting new information more serious information and um so we were all trying to push our leases back a couple weeks. Okay, spring training is going to end two weeks later. And then three or three, four days after that, it was like, you guys need to get out of here. You guys are going home. Um, th- there's no spring training, and we don't have a new date. So it was pretty crazy.
0: You actually talk about that with living situations. Zach, you were pretty much assured of starting on the big league roster in Minnesota. You pitched in the playoffs last season, for goodness sake. And Dalton, you had a great year finishing up at AAA Durham, so I think it was pretty much assured that you were going to start in AAA Durham. So did you guys have plans to already be going there? And, and how did you have to adjust? Because I know, at least for you, Dalton, you're in North Carolina, somewhat with the assumption that once everything gets started again, you're just going to hop on over to Durham to get your season started.
3: Yeah, it was kind of a an interesting decision that me and my family had to make. We The drive to California is... Uh, 44 hour long drive and I got a one-year-old baby and so that's going to be probably a two-week long trip going three hours a day or we head up to Durham and potentially we're hearing rumors that they might not have a spring training and they might just send minor leaguers right to the affiliates maybe do like a week of live BPs, some practice um maybe scrimmage Uh, a team that's close to you for a few games before the season officially started. And so we just decided that it's probably best to just do a one 10-hour drive up to Durham. And it just gave us the most flexibility if the season got started up again. But yeah, some guys had already signed leases here and they're in a six-month contract that they don't know if the season's going to start or not. And so I know a lot of guys are in pretty weird living situations. and a lot of guys are lucky. They got houses like Zach and he settled in with his wife and it's, they got a beautiful house to come back to. And so some guys are luckier than others, but it's just an interesting process.
2: Yeah, I think to add on that, I mean, um, I just started setting up, trying to get set up in a lease in Minnesota. And uh, it was awesome. The team kind of helped us out up there and hunches us up with some people. And they were very, very understanding um, with the situation. And said you know when all this blows over we can we can start back up and so um my lease in florida actually ended in the end of march anyway so i left two weeks before that but it wasn't the end of the world um it was worth being here being that you know when we that meeting we had when they said hey you're you can't stay here um even and even if you do stay here you can't come in and work out here you can't come through we gotta we gotta limit the number of people that are that are coming through here it was it just made the most sense to go ahead and head home, and um, you know I got got the chance to ask Dalton if he uh, might want to come stay up here, being that he might be in Durham, and um, it's it's nice to have a catch partner every day and, and somebody to kind of work out with and, and go through the everyday uh, the everyday routine with, so it's been good.
0: So the reason why we have both of you guys on together, and people that are listening are probably wondering, well, why do you guys have uh, two guys from different organizations on? How do these guys know each other? Well, as it turns out, you started in the same organization, which is neither of the two organizations that you play for now, the Seattle Mariners, and I first got to meet both of you when you were in Clinton, Iowa, and that 2016 season Dalton, you were there the whole year. Zach, you had been with us in 2015 and got promoted on July 4th to Bakersfield in 2016. What about that 2016 team made all of you guys so close? Because at least from my view, everybody loved everybody in that clubhouse. And I think that when you look back at the impact on what the 2016 Clinton Lumber Kings at full A had on people's careers... I would venture to say you guys and a lot of your teammates would say that it made a bigger impact than you probably ever could have would imagined, because look at how many guys have made the big leagues or have gotten just a step away from the big leagues at this point. Like, it's remarkable to me.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if you look at that roster, you got got Pablo Lopez with the Marlins, um, Nate Nider, who's knocking on the door with the Marlins. You've got um, Art Warren, who's up and down with Seattle. Um, there's a bunch of talented guys on that team and all fairly easy going guys but i think uh what kind kind of made that team special was the the culture and the environment that Mitch Cannon our manager and and Rich Dorman and Caesar uh Nicholas kind of created and um you know they made it fun to come to the field every day they made it uh they were guys that you wanted to go out there and compete for and um you know easy guys to get behind and so Anytime you have a staff like that, along with, you know, paired with a good group of players and guys who, who are there, um, you know, to accomplish the same goal, it usually makes for a pretty fun year and uh, usually pretty successful teams are, are kind of have those traits as well. So it was good. I enjoyed that year. It was it was a lot of fun. I uh, still keep in touch with a lot of guys that were on that team and, and uh, you know, hopefully get to play against them for a long time. Yeah, I think
3: um... – Echoing Zach's point, I think the team had a lot of talent, but also from a leadership perspective and just, and guys like including you, you got, you brought the energy every day and you, you love baseball probably more than anyone in the clubhouse. And you brought that down into the clubhouse and, um, and guys like Mitch Canham, you look at at our staff, our coaching staff, and they've all promoted like night and day. So Mitch is the head coach at Oregon state, um, Pete Woodworth, who came in for rich Dorman, who's the pitching coach at Oregon state, Pete Woodworth's up with the Seattle Mariners. Um, yeah. And so the coaching staff was a great staff players were great and Clinton aesthetically is probably not the best place that you want to be, but it does provide, I thought, an environment for a team to be a family and to be close and to rally together. And, um, yeah, it was just a good season.
2: Yeah, I would – sorry not to, not to interrupt, but uh, I would say that Clinton also, especially for young guys, it kind of teaches you what you have to go through. I think a lot of times college guys kind of put their time in within their three years in college. You know, they've got all the, the fall ball and the um, – I guess they, they have their little hell weeks or whatever variation is um, of that. But um, Clinton kind of like – it's a little bit of a grind, but it's it's something that I think – made me a better player and you know kind of made me appreciate the really nice places we go and and how good I had it um how good I've had it since then so um you know I'm not not saying I would necessarily go back to Clinton but I'm not I definitely uh I enjoyed my time there I enjoyed the team there and uh I think it's made me a better person and player
0: I will say this for you Zach that you had a good season when you first came up in 2015. I think you were just 19 years old when you made your A ball debut. But then in 2016, a light clicks on. You have an ERA below 2.8. You get promoted to High A in the most hitter-friendly league in all of minor league baseball and with Bakersfield you go 8 and 1 with a 2.51 and then the next year across two levels you go 19 and 1 with a 2.10 ERA, what about that jump from 15 to 16? Do you feel like really accelerated your career?
2: The opportunity to work with Rich Dorman Dorr, um, he, the mentality that Dorr kind of instills in his pitchers, and um, it's something that I didn't have. You know, I, I had decent stuff, and I you know I could locate a fastball here and there, but uh, the mentality going on the mound, knowing that your stuff was going to get any hitter in the world out every single day is something that something that door really helped me develop and, and understand. And, uh, you know, kind of realize that I had that, had that in there. And so, um, it was, it wasn't like one day, it just kind of was like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a bulldog on the mound. It was kind of a, you know, a gradual progression where door every, every single outing was like, Hey, you're better than them. Like, go get them, throw it over and make them beat you. So, um, that mentality of going out there and attacking guys and, and just saying I'm the I'm the best guy I'm the best player on the field right now is it's something that was huge for me from a confidence standpoint. And then um I think if you look at any pitcher, every pitcher in, in professional baseball's got got good stuff. You know, they didn't get there because they because they were bad. So I think everybody can compete. It was for me it was just a mindset thing of, of you know, here's my stuff, beat me. And if you're not gonna beat me, get out of the box. So, um I think that would be the biggest, the biggest difference between you know two thousand thirteen, fourteen between, and then sixteen, seventeen. Obviously, I have the crazy year in seventeen, and um, I can't really take credit for that. I played on three teams and ended up playing in their league championships. You know, we every team I played on, we put up seven, eight runs a game, makes it pretty easy to pick. So, um, yeah, I think it's a mindset thing. It's an intensity thing. It's it's uh, going out there and knowing that any given day, even when you have nothing, you're you can compete with anybody on the planet.
0: I can ask both of you guys this question and for Zach, you can have it go double for you. What's it like to get traded?
3: Well, the first time you get traded, I would say it's a little disheartening because you, you buy into this vision of maybe potentially playing at safe co-field with the Seattle Mariners. And that's, that's where you're going to make your debut. You, it, you play your first full season with the with the squad of guys and a staff, and you get really close to the staff. You get really close to your teammates, and when you get called and they tell you they got traded to another team, it's just kind of a bummer because you gotta go through that whole process again. You gotta make new friends and you gotta meet new staff, and maybe they're not as good as the friends that you had made before, or you just don't know. There's a lot of unknowns, and so um, it's just. I don't know. I was kind of bummer. I was kind of bummed out. And, um, but as you go on and as you move teams, you realize that the whole baseball world, the guys who are hanging around in baseball are a lot alike. Um, a lot of the radio guys that I've had are just like you. They just love the game. They, they love the history of the game. They love watching players do well. Um, all my teammates, they're, they're just grinders. They know how to, how to be successful, and they know how to fail, and they keep their head up and um, the staff members that hang around baseball love the game, they just love teaching players and they want to make big leaguers and so the more you're around different organizations, the more you realize that the people who are around baseball are are a lot alike, and so it makes that transition easier
2: yeah, that on to that I think um, you know you're drafted and you you have like Dalton said you had this idea of working your way up through the minor league system and playing at your major league city's, um, you know, stadium and living in that city. And you kind of, you kind of like get this little plan of what your future is going to look like. And you're, you're, you know, kind of oblivious to how much of an industry major league baseball truly is. And so, you know, when you get that call, which funny story, actually me and Dalton were traded the same day, um, within about 30 minutes of each other. So kind of weird, but, um, you get this this idea of what your future is going to look like, and then in a five minute phone call, it's completely different, you know. And so that absolutely can be disheartening, and um, you can kind of be sad because you you build these relationships, especially in this in this real development period of seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids, and um, you build relationships, and you go through the same stuff, and that makes you pretty tight. So when you when those relationships are all of a sudden I shouldn't say they're gone because I do still keep in touch with those guys. But you go from seeing guys every day to to seeing them maybe once a year if you're lucky and and they're in a different uniform. So um, That's hard. But at the same time, I think once you realize that trades are generally a good thing for you. I mean, somebody else wants you enough to give up one of their guys. And um, once you realize that, it's kind of easy to move forward. and, And, yeah, making new friends is hard and getting used to, a new uh, complex and new places is is tough and not fun, but um, once you do it, it's just something. I mean, you get traded, you don't really have a choice. It's just, you start back over and you go from there. And and uh, I've been lucky. I've had great people around me in both the trades I've been in. And um uh, seems like from what I can understand of Dalton, he's enjoyed being with the Rays for the most part, at least with the, the personnel. And so um, it's just one of those things. So you never think you're gonna get traded until it happens.
0: Yeah, Dalton, this next question is for you in particular. I hear from a lot of people that the Rays do things so much different than everybody else because they put such an emphasis on creating the complete player. What in your three plus years in the organization have you noticed about what the Rays do to get their guys ready to be big league ball players?
2: Well, I
3: think it starts with their ability to draft. Good baseball players. When you play against other organizations, um, you realize that we just always have good baseball players. Uh, Your best player might get moved up and obviously that spot's got to be filled by a younger guy and he comes up and sometimes he's better or just as good. And you just got to give credit to the people who are scouting young players and, and getting that draft executed really well. And then from there, once you have the good players, you got to have good coaches. And the Rays do a really, really good job of finding good teachers that teach the game. And they're not cookie cutter in a way where they have this vision of a big leaguer and they try to make all their left handed hitters look like this person or all their pitchers look like this pitcher. They learn how to take your skill set maybe find them through analytics or just from watching them watching players with their eyes and they coach them to their to their strengths and they try to highlight their skills and so um yeah i mean they just do a really good job of bringing out the best baseball player in you they use analytics and they use good teaching and
0: um
3: and yeah they just let you play
0: we are here with Big League Twins reliever Zach Lattell and AAA Rays first baseman Dalton Kelly here on MLB Morning Coffee. They are currently living together in North Carolina as they wait out the coronavirus. And Zach, I got to ask you about June 5th, 2018. You're pitching in AAA Rochester before then, and you get the call to the big leagues. Two-part question, number one, what was it like getting that call? And number two, what was it like stepping on a big league mound in Minnesota with your whole family in attendance?
2: You know, so getting a call, I guess. um, We're in Norfolk, Virginia. It's like a Friday night. Um, I charted that night. So I come in, I get called in the office. I knew we had a doubleheader coming up, but at the time I wasn't – I, mean, I was throwing the ball well, but it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't the clear favorite to go. But I get called in and a manager asked me like, You ever pitch in the big leagues? I said, No and he said, Well, you are on Tuesday and I said, I don't even remember what I said, but I would imagine I, I kind of was just stunned and walked out there and they did a little thing in the locker room and all that. So what was unique though is um, you know, generally you get called up and you it's it's a, you find out your flights the next day and you're pitching the next day and I was lucky enough to find out on a Friday, um that I was pitching on a Tuesday, so, um, you know, I had a few days in between, I actually stayed in Norfolk until Sunday, and then flew from Norfolk to Minnesota, um, it was, it was kind of a blur, you know, you, the whole time, I don't think I slept between Friday and Tuesday, um, and if I did, it wasn't very well, so, it was just one of those things where it's not so much a fear and anxiety, it's a, it's a nervous excitement, and, um, you know, going, getting on the flight and getting to fly first class all that up there and then um you know showing up to the field and, and having your locker is something that something that you dream of since you're a kid you know and you walk out on the field for the first time and it just feels like a different universe you know the stadiums go from being a single deck holding 10 twelve thousand people to instantly holding 30 forty thousand people and and um that's that's different and something that I know you think about, but you don't truly think about how it's going to feel to be on the mound. You think about playing on the field in front of those fans. And, um, think about going out there and dominating your first time um, on a major league mound. And and uh, obviously, if you go back and watch, look at the box score, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't the case for me. Um, but at the same time, I tell people this all the time. You know, I think I gave up six runs over four innings or whatever it was. and It was the most fun I've ever had on a baseball field. Um, and it wasn't close. Um, I told myself that day. I woke up and at breakfast, you know, obviously very nervous and, and excited and just ready to go. And um, I told myself that no matter what the result was, I was going to enjoy the day. You know, that only happened once. Every every guy I talked to you says, you know, no one's going to remember the results. No one's going to remember um, how well you pitched or how poorly you pitched, but you will remember how it felt that day to step on a mound a major amount for the first time, how it felt to to put on a twins uniform for the first time and and um have your name announced and, and these are things that, you know, to this day seem like they happened yesterday, but um the results stuff just in the grand scheme of things isn't that important from a debut standpoint. Um and it was a double header so I knew that immediately after the game I was headed back down and um which you know, you can argue kinda of takes a little bit of pressure off you but Um, I've never, never in, you know, 23, 24 years have I gone through anything like that. And at the same time, I don't think anything, nothing in the minor leagues prepares you for that, that adrenaline rush you're going to get when you step on a major league mound. So, uh, very, very cool experience. Um, something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Um, but something that, something that I think people just, you know, players in my situation that are that are about to make their debut or make their debut in the next few years, um, the thing I would say is just enjoy it, you know, uh, you only get one debut.
0: Isn't that the case for sure, man, and, and you got a chance to pitch in the playoffs this past season. Describe what that experience was like.
2: You know, not only the playoffs, we get to pitch in Yankee Stadium, which is something that you know you dream about as a kid and uh walking out into there the, the bleacher creatures and left are just wearing you out and, um it's it's just a completely different atmosphere and environment out there it feels um it, it might as well have been the world series for me you know it felt it felt incredible just to be on the field and have the opportunity to 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 pitch in that game and i you know in game one i ended up getting the loss. uh you know walk judge hit Gardner. um it was kind of odd, you know, everybody asking, you know, were you nervous? Um, were you kind of kind of scared to face judge in that situation? And I think at the time it was very zero, 0 or 2 nothing or something. We, I think we were down. But um, it's not at the time I'm warming up and I'm, I'm telling myself, you know, because I did learn from my debut to, to breathe and to, to slow the game down. And I truly felt like I was in control the whole time. And then if we get out of the mound, I throw a pitch. I'm like, you know, I feel pretty good. Um, I think, I think today is going to be one of those days where I can come in and kind of get quick, three quick outs, and all of a sudden I, I kind of get deep in the bat, the crowd gets a little – I go 2-0, the crowd gets into it a little bit, Judge ends up hitting the ball, you know, 450 feet foul. Um, and from there I think I kind of tried to get a little fine and, um, you know, got me into trouble, walked him. went 2-0 on Gardner and hit him on the third pitch, and, and that was the end of that. So um, looking back, I, I kind of just wish that I had – Really slowed the game down and realized that you know playoffs don't make hitters don't all of a sudden get better because it's playoffs you know they they don't change their approach their their um, their mindset doesn't change because it's a playoff game you know hitters are gonna gonna do what they do um, whether that's game one or game seven of the World Series and so uh, looking back I just wish I'd gone out there and, and been myself and said you know here's my stuff hit it but uh, I got the opportunity to pitch in game two. Uh, threw the one batter, got one out. Got Glaber Torres pop up, and and I think that was huge for my confidence. And I think that's kind of why I got back in the game. You know, we were down pretty big, but uh, the opportunity to go out there and get one out and and show myself that hey, I can go out there and get outs um, was big. And so, look forward to doing it again. You know, pitching the playoffs is not something that everybody gets to do. So I'm I'm super thankful for that. And I think that I don't think that will be my last opportunity. So uh, I look forward to it.
0: Question for both of you guys, now that you're living together and you're trying to work out together, given the restrictions on everything that's going on right now, your preparation, because Zach, you're a pitcher, Dalton, you're a position player, what can you guys do to keep yourself fresh? And obviously for you, Zach, it's a lot different than it is for Dalton, but describe to me, both of you, what you have to do in order to keep yourself fresh and keep yourself ready.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting because... The hardest part about this process is we don't have a start date. So, when you go into the offseason, you know you got to be ready to play February 1st, somewhere in there. That's probably where you're going to head to Florida. You got to be ready to to rock and roll. So, your whole schedule is built around you getting to be your best around February 1st. But right now, we don't have a date. They just keep kind of guessing and we keep hearing rumors and they keep pushing it back and we just kind of watching what the other big leagues are doing and it's not sounding good. And so from a pitcher perspective, Zach probably talk more about that, but basically they just have to be in a holding pattern. They don't want to waste bullets, throwing a lot of bullpens, maybe throwing as a starter throwing 75, 80-pitch bullpens because they got to be ready for a start in a couple weeks. They're not going to do that because the season supposedly could potentially go into December. So they're, they're kind of just in a holding pattern. And then from a hitter perspective, um, we kind of are just treating it like an offseason. We're just running, lifting, throwing, and hitting. And um, what's really cool about being in this situation is a, a hitter living with a pitcher is that usually in baseball, the hitters stay together and the pitchers stay together. But every night we're talking about baseball and kind of bouncing stuff off each other and getting to learn more about the other perspective. What's a hitter thinking about right here? What's a pitcher thinking about right here? Um, and so that's really fun and interesting. And then another thing that's cool is I'm playing catch with a pitcher right now and my arm strength definitely isn't one of my tools, but it's something I have to get better at because I'm going to play it more outfield. And so I'm kind of learning how to throw more like a pitcher. He's trying to get me to focus on my spin axis, my spin rate, my carry. And so that's really fun for me too, being around him. When um, we're playing long toss and just playing catch and just stuff that I don't really normally get to think about when I'm with hitters, all we care about is hitting. And so, um, yeah, it's been fun for me being inside.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a good time. Um, getting to kind of talk to Dalton about about hitter's approaches and, um, you know, what he looks for throughout the bat and how it, his approach changes even, you know, throughout the game. Um, and, you know, going to work out with him, it's fun to, it's fun to, you know, position players generally, you know, I don't I mean to say this, and I don't want to speak for all pitchers, but they generally do more in a day than a pitcher does. You know, I go to the field, I go to the gym, and, and we work out, uh, you know, it takes an hour or so, and then we go out, and I may run a little bit, and then play catch, and then I'm done, you know, but Dalton's, Dalton's really only about halfway through, he's, he's working out, he's going out and playing catch, he's, he's uh, running, he needs to hit some, and then, you know, in an ideal world he gets to, you know, field ground balls, which has been kinda of tough going through all this stuff. But um I would definitely say I have the easy easy job in this. But um he's right, yeah, pitchers for me I'm kinda of just in a holding pattern, you know. I throw a bullpen, um, you know, once every five days or so and um but at the same time you, as a reliever it's nice that I can I can kinda of be ready to go whenever we get that call. Um as long as I've been thrown off a mound and have that feel. I can, I can say, all right, pop a hitter in there and all I got to do is get through one inning. It's when you run into these starters that have to, like Dalton said, be built up for four or five, six innings to start the year. uh, That's tough. Uh, And so again, just mirroring what Dalton said, not having a date to be ready by is tough. You know, just being in a, in a constant fluid state where you're, you're really just waiting to hear day by day is hard. So, um, Definitely a new experience, but uh, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. So a couple more questions
0: for you guys here on MLB Morning Coffee, and I'll ask each of you this individually. Uh, you guys can follow up on each answer. You mentioned, Dalton, about playing more outfield. You were drafted as a first baseman, and you've played a lot of first basemen in the minors, but you've also played outfield at certain spots, and you said that it's more of a – likelihood that when you do get that call to the bigs it will be as an outfielder and Zach you were a starter for your entire minor league career until this past year so I'll just ask each of you both Dalton what's it going to be like for you knowing that you're going to play more outfield than you ever have before and Zach what's it been like being a bullpen guy after having been a starter for most of your life?
3: Yeah I think it's for me it's just I've been playing first base since I was three, four years old. And so I don't have to think about anything. Everything comes naturally. Um, I don't have to think about where the base runners are. I don't have to think about where my arms are. I just instinctually have learned how to be in the right spot at the right time. And when I'm in the outfield, I feel lost. And so I think for me, just playing out there more, getting more reps, obviously, and just trusting myself and getting out of my head, I'll be able to just relax and um, just play a good outfield. And I think getting my arm strength a little bit better. I've just been used to throwing the ball 60 to 90 feet my whole entire life. And so my arm's never been stretched out that way. But I, uh, it's something that I need to work on, something that will help me um, be versatile. And it makes the manager's job a little bit easier filling out a roster when guys can play multiple positions. And I don't want to lose my strength. As being a good defender at first base, but I I need to um, at least be average in the outfield. And so, um, yeah, just part of the deal.
2: Yeah. And again, Tad, I'm Dalton. It's been, it's been kind of fun. Uh, you know, I've gotten to play with Dalton, obviously, and then we were training, but we got to continue playing against each other. And we played against each other every year through the State League, uh, the Southern League, and then obviously the International League. And um, it's been cool to watch Dalton go from you know, one of the best first basemen that I ever had the pleasure to play with, um, to make that transition in the outfield and, and watch him kind of, um, learn daily, um, what it takes to be an everyday outfielder. Um, you know, that stuff is hard. I don't think people realize, um, when you play one or when you do anything, it could be anything in life, do one thing your entire life and all of a sudden, uh, you're doing something completely different and you know, people, you know, fans may say, Oh, well, it feels not that different, but it truly is, you know, the whole dynamic changes. Um, not only are you just in a different spot on the field, but your priorities all of a sudden change from, um, you know, what am I doing? Pitch by pitch, where am I going with this ball? And, you know, as a first baseman, you're involved every single play. And then in the outfield, you know, there are times when you may not, honestly, there are games when you may not have a ball come your direction. So, um, it's a, it's a really interesting transition. Sorry, I, I kind of got off topic there. But um, from a starter to bullpen, it's been really good. I think the the main difference in, in starters, being a starter and being a reliever for me was intent. Um, I got a little velo tick up. I got rid of the curveball. I got rid of the, my changeup. And so now I'm really just a fastball cutter slider. And um, it's been nice, you know, going out there and saying, you know, I need to get, you know, at most – two innings you know and so I could say here's everything I've got um here hit it and as a starter you kind of have to you have to go out there and establish and feel the hair out feel the umpires out and get through that first time in the lineup and use that first time as kind of a setup and then and kind of go from there but as a reliever it's here's everything I got here's my best stuff uh, try and beat me and so um I would say the intent from a mental standpoint is is completely different, and uh, the preparation. Uh, my routine has changed you now as I starter. You get four days off now. As a reliever, you have the potential to pitch, you know, basically every day, which which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, showing up to the ballpark, knowing that hey, I could pitch tonight, um, as opposed to showing up to the ballpark and knowing that for three more days I'm I'm not not hopping on that mound. So. Uh, It's been really good. Uh, I've enjoyed it. It was definitely an adjustment, but um, I look forward to just continuing to develop that uh, mindset, mentality, stuff, all of it. Uh, It's been really fun.
0: Final question for you guys, and I'm doing this for my own self-interest, but from both of your time together, so it can't be a time when after Zach got promoted, Dalton, what's your fondest memory of that 2016 Clinton Lumber Kings season?
3: If I'm thinking about Clinton specifically, I'm really thankful for the Candlelight Inn. It was a restaurant <laughs> right across the street, um, a steakhouse, and it was just a place you could go outside of baseball, and it just felt different. Yeah. Uh, you could, on the you river, could, it was nice. Yeah, it was on the river. You could relax, get, get some good food, um, get away from the minor league food, and um, just spend some time outside of baseball with your teammates and, or with your girlfriend or wife or whoever was in town. Baseball wise, we, I remember, um, I got two memories now. Um, we were going through a losing streak and I don't wanna to share too much of Mitch Canham's managerial secrets, but we were going through a losing streak and we come into the clubhouse and all the lights are off and we hear like a little banging in the locker room. And we, we all walk around the corner and we see our manager standing there in full costume, full Rambo costume just absolutely hyping the team up. And I think we go on to win 10 game ten, fifteen 15 games in a row or something like that. And that was just, it was just really cool coming from a manager, your first year playing pro ball, you're going through a, a slump as a team and it might not be very fun at that time. And everything seems kind of like a grind and the days seem long and no one's really playing well. And so there's nothing to be excited about. And, uh, Having a manager like that to just lay it on the line, hype everyone up was really cool. And then I remember losing our last game in the championship against the Dodgers minor league team and the season being over. And everyone in the clubhouse, so how close our team was, everyone in the clubhouse, mostly everyone was shedding some tears. And we we're all just going around hugging each other and giving each other real hugs. It wasn't just a little handshake. See you next year. It was I'm going to miss you and can't wait to see you next year. And um, I thought that was really cool for me. That just shows you how close that team was. And we all wanted to win for each other and we didn't want to leave each other. We wanted to keep playing. So I'll always remember that.
2: Yeah. And Dalton kind of stole my story about Mitch uh, dressing up, but um, I guess another one that I really thoroughly enjoyed about climbing was um, Mitch and Dora would put on these uh, ping pong tournaments where we would you know, anybody who wanted in would would play ping pong and that includes Mitch. Um and Mitch was pretty good and it was just fun. We had this conference table that was actually longer than a than a ping pong table, but we put one of those little clip on nets across it and, and kinda go at it. And these would last, you know, a week or so, play a couple games every single day before you go out. um you know that was fun. Mitch did a really good job of kind of keeping the clubhouse loose but also uh building that you know that competitiveness. Um and and the will to compete every single day. So, um, something you kind of take for granted. Um, I haven't, you know, since you just asked, I haven't thought about since then, but, um, that's kind of what made that team so much fun. And that environment, um, was one of the best clubhouse environments I've ever been in. So, um, and then we got, we had a pretty cool radio guy who hung around. Um, he was, he was all right, but, um, it was a it was a fun year. It was a lot
0: of fun. I appreciate that last compliment, Zach. You uh y- you made me smile here, man. I uh, I sincerely appreciate that. Zach Latell, Dalton Kelly, re- really appreciate your time this morning, guys. Yeah, glad
2: Got that it. glad you had us on.
0: Zach Lattell and Dalton Kelly here on MLB Morning Coffee. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee Conversations and we'll catch you in the AM.